Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob, and this week, going to kind of wing it a little bit. I wasn't sure exactly how I'd structure this episode because the uh, the core thing that we're making is the muffaletta sandwich, okay? And honestly, there's not a lot of exposition that you can do with this. I mean, with a sandwich, it's like, here are the ingredients, it's like three, four, you know, six or seven ingredients. Once you have that, you kind of put them all together into a sandwich form. Bada boom, bada bing, and you're done. So I wanted to extend that a little bit and make some of the components of the sandwich. For example, I made the bread. And I also made one of the canonical ingredients in the muffaletta, which is mortadella. Okay. But I didn't necessarily, like on one hand, just the sandwich as an episode would be too short. But on the other hand, making mortadella is, it's not just a real simple sort of communication. It's not like, okay, here's how you do it, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's, it is. There are components to it that are very ingredient-based, but that's also very heavily process-dependent. If you go back on the thecookingshow.fm, if you go back to episode eight, when we made hot dogs, that will cover most of the process for making mortadella, just uh, somewhat different ingredients, but mostly the same sort of a, you know, it's an emulsified sausage. It is cooked at a very moderate, gentle temperature to set the emulsion into that classic hot dog or bologna texture, you know, a smooth farce that has like a nice supple mouthfeel to it. Very mild flavor, little bit of, of what do they call spicy sweetness? And what I mean by that is like um, nutmeg, basically. <laughs> you know, if you, you get a little bit of nutmeg, it's, it, it is a spice, but it has a, like a Christmassy sweetness to it. Very mild. Now, uh, your traditional mortadella is often studded with poached pork fat or pistachios. I've done it with cashews in the past. We didn't bedazzle the mortadella that way because it, you weren't going to see it. You know, you don't, you don't see it as like a, on a charcuterie board or as a cold cut because it is in this sandwich form. So we didn't have to go through the extra labor to fill it with pretty accoutrements. So if you check out the show notes, I will have the, the basic recipe for the muffaletta sandwich, but then sub recipes for the bread for, well, I mean, the GR, uh, not the giardinera, but like the, the tapenade, which include, which com includes or incorporates giardinera, that'll be like a sub recipe, but then also the recipe and process for the mortadella. I'll include that in text form, but I'm not going to talk through that whole thing because that'll take forever and it will dilute the point of the episode, which is making a delicious big fancy sandwich that people like. Okay. <laughs> so to avoid having too short of an episode, I did want to explore the, uh, the muffaletta and its origin and just sort of the, the cultural and contextual variables that give rise to some of the world's great sandwiches. Okay. The muffaletta originates in New Orleans and immediately, immediately it kind of connected a few dots in my head. It just popped up 
like a stream of consciousness type thing. I was like, man, what is it about? Why is New Orleans a uh, kind of a sandwich culture? I mean, think about it. Uh, just off the top of my head, two, and there's probably more, but just two come to mind, the Mufaletta and the Po' Boy, right? Both originating in New Orleans. But you don't think of New Orleans as like a, as a sandwich town. You know, New York City, you have your your Jewish deli is with your pastrami on rye, you know, your Jewish deli sandwiches. Big, big deal. Pittsburgh has its Permanti style sandwiches with the French fries and the coleslaw and all that crap on it. Yeah, you go around, you have different places with, you know, open face roast beef. You have places with, uh, you know, regional burgers, you know, stuff like that. And they all kind of get pinned on these various geographies. But New Orleans, like, what is it about New Orleans that would give rise? to um, like multiple branded sandwiches, the Mufaletta, the Po' Boy, I'm sure there are others, like I said. And the, the, the answer is obvious. If you know what the answer is, you know that it's obvious. If once you hear what the answer is, or at least what I'm supposing the answer is, it should seem obvious. And if you know what the answer is, you're probably like, Bob, the answer's obvious. <laughs> but New Orleans can be expected to have a sandwich culture the same for the same reason that Vietnam does. From Vietnam, we get the banh mi sandwich, which seems like a complete non sequitur. Why would this delicious, bright, fresh flavored sandwich come from the Indochina Peninsula? Why? And the answer is because of French occupation, French colonialism. Okay. You had a French presence in the Indochina Peninsula and along with those, that French presence, along with the, the the colonists and the military and everything, you bring French bread culture. You have French baguettes being made in Vietnam. And then from that, you're using local ingredients and incorporating it into a sandwich. Bada boom, bada bing, bada banh mi, right? That's why you get this sandwich. Same exact thing in New Orleans. You have a French, a French presence, a French influence. It is a French-inspired geography. So you have a French bread culture in New Orleans and springing from that bread culture, you get a sandwich culture. You get the, the po' boy, the, the mufaletta, yada, yada, yada. Now, despite the fact that I'm attributing the rise of multiple branded sandwiches from New Orleans, uh, I'm, I'm attributing that to the French bread influence. When you read the ingredients of the muffaletta, the first thing you'll think is this is an Italian sandwich. I mean, provolone cheese, capicola, copa, copa secca, etc., uh, mortadella, soprasata, right? Olives, giardinera. I mean, these are it is all Italian ingredients. And the bread, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that a, a sesame seed bun is is necessarily a French bread, but it is a special sesame seed bread. It is, you know, they say that the the muffaletta buns are 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 made specifically for the production of muffaletta sandwiches. And outside of New Orleans, you're going to have a hard time finding this particular bun. And I'm I made I made a bun. It's it wasn't, it could have been better. It. I mean, it tasted great. It had a good texture and everything like that, but it could have had a better appearance. It could have had a better shape. Mine went very vertical. It basically turned into a ball, you know, like a, a sourdough round loaf, as opposed to what it should be, which you think the shape, if you think of like a Whopper, you know, the sesame seed bun that a Whopper is on, or if you think of the uh, alien beings in 
uh, batteries not included, the little metal sandwich UFO guys, very much uh, similar to the Muffaletta bun. But if you take your Whopper bun and then expand it to the size of a dinner plate, like 10 to 12 inches in diameter, that's what we're looking at. So the recipe for the bun is, it is a Muffaletta bread recipe, um, but you might have to tweak it a little bit or, or, or experiment to get it to to grow out instead of up. I didn't I didn't put a lot of thought into it and whatever. I was just like, yeah, that's good enough. There's two of us that are going to be, and me and my son, we're going to be splitting the sandwich, so it doesn't have to be enormous. But the point is that you have this giant sesame seed bun that you make the sandwich on, and then you cut it into wedges, and then you know you get a number of people that can eat from this one sandwich. Okay. So we'll talk about, uh, not so much the bread recipe, definitely not going to go through the mortadella recipe, but we'll talk about the construction of the muffaletta sandwich. And, uh, it just, it is delicious. It's fantastic. And I got to tell you the, uh, the tapenade, uh, mixture that goes in here, cause it's not, it's not purely a tapenade is incredible, man. The, the flavor of this off the hook, Make a batch of that and eat it with pita chips, and that would be fantastic. All right, so let's let's get started in here. I'm just going to read through the ingredients, and then we'll talk about some of these uh, cold cuts here because I because I do recognize that some people might be a little bit intimidated when faced with the the verbiage of charcuterie. Okay, but it's not. It's it don't. Don't feel that way. It's it's simple. It's it's all it's all ham and hot dogs. Okay. <laughs> all right. So ingredients. Let's start here. Um, in, you know, check the show notes. Obviously, recipes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, links to special equipment, special ingredients. If I come up with anything, I'm sure there'll be some equipment because, especially with making the mortadella, it was like you know uh, meat grinders, uh, blenders, food processors, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll have a link, you know, to the imager album for the photographic step by step and all that kind of stuff. All right, ingredients. We're gonna start off with three quarters of a cup of oil packed olives. If you get like an olives, like Jubilee, like, you know, the green olives and the black olives and all that kind of stuff mixed together, uh, that's fine. I just straight up got a little Deli Pro container of Kalamata olives. I didn't really care about uh, the, the various colors because the second ingredient incorporates a lot of, you know, bright uh, contrasting colors, which is a half cup of Giardinera. Giardinera, if you're not familiar, is pickled vegetables, usually cauliflower, carrots, peppers, maybe a little celery, little pearl onions. Uh, there might be a couple other things in there. And it will range from mild to very, very spicy. Even the mild, if you get a jar of mild Giardinera and you've never had it before and you pull out a hunk of cauliflower and you pop it in your mouth, you may be struck with an initial feeling of, oh my God, this is going to be really spicy because... It, it has it has the pre-spice of capsaicin and all that, but it just never materializes. It's kind of just a very piquant, uh, vinegary type of flavor. But uh, you can find that in various size jar, jars, all kinds of brands, uh, Delalo and uh, Bell, Bellevue, Bellmead. I don't know what they are. I mean, a million of them. You go in the, the vinegar and pickles aisle, you'll find some Giardinera. Grab that. Uh, we're going to use a quarter cup of chopped roasted red peppers. You can roast them yourself if you'd like. I just got ones that were packed in oil. We use that. 
two tablespoons of fresh flat parsley leaves. Seems like that this might be a little bit of a, a wild card here. It's like, really, you got all, all this stuff here, and then we're going with two tablespoons of fresh parsley. Why? Why? Well, parsley is such a clean, bright flavor. It cuts through the acidity and the olive oil and the cheese and the meats and stuff. It just adds a little bit of freshness in there. It's really nice. And yeah, parsley's cheap. Add it. Include it. You know, don't, don't skimp on the parsley. We're going to use a tablespoon of capers. Now, 99% of the time when you buy capers, they're the tiny little pickled uh, flower buds of the caper berry. But the ones that we had are these giant capers that are like, um, I don't know, what size would they be? The size of, the size of, the size of an olive. That's how big they are. These giant capers. So I use like four of those, but otherwise you use a tablespoon of the regular sized capers. One garlic clove, three tablespoons of olive oil, a tablespoon of red wine vinegar, uh, one large muffaletta style roll, which uh, if you're making it yourself, cool. If not, chances are you're not going to find something like that. So you can get a round loaf of bread. What you want, you want something that doesn't have too hard of a crust. Like you don't want to get like uh, a Tuscan bread in a round loaf. Maybe, but you don't also don't want it to be super soft, like a halal or something like that. So something intermediary between those would be wonderful. Otherwise, uh, the recommendation is to get um, a ciabatta bread. Ciabatta bread is necessarily going to be a lot more chewy than, than an actual muffaletta roll, but it'll work fine. And then you don't have to make them real, but you can make them individually. You can get a bunch of small ciabatta loaves and make them so that everybody gets their own sandwich. You know what I'm saying? All right, and then we get into the the meat and potatoes. That's actually the meat and cheese of the sandwich, which is soprasada, sweet soprasada. Soprasada um, usually can be either uh, really spicy with calabrian pepper, or it can just be your sweet soprasada. Go with the sweet on this. Mortadella or bologna. Look, you don't have to. You don't have to get artisanal mortadella that's really super expensive. Maybe not. Maybe stay steer clear of just the straight up you know, pre-packaged Oscar Mayer bologna, get some deli bologna at least, and uh, that'll be great. And then Capicola. Now here's, here's one. One, one product, many names. Capicola, Gabagol, Copaseca. Copaseca. This is, this is a ham product, a, a whole muscle that is cured. It's the, the muscle group that runs along either side of the pig's neck um, behind its head. Uh, that part of the pork shoulder kind of flows into the pork loin. It would be on a cow, it would be your chuck roast, or at least, you know, part of the chuck roast and take the copa muscle off that gets cured uh, with uh, salt and curing salt and wine and sweet things, black pepper and sugar, brown sugar sometimes, and things like uh, um, maybe a little bit of juniper berry and clove and nutmeg and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're in Capicola or Copa can come in various things. Copa Seca is a sweet Copa, Copa Picante. You can have, because of the fat content, like the intramuscular fat that runs in between all these little muscles that kind of flow together, like tributaries into the, the loin muscle, it will absorb a lot of flavors. So like whenever I had a butcher shop and we had a charcuterie program, we made all kinds of flavors of Copa. Like we made 
General So's copa. We made um, caraway seed copa. We made, you know, uh, salt and vinegar copa, like all kinds of things, because it'll just, it'll take on the little nuances of flavor very, very easily. But you want copa seca, capicola, whatever you can find that matches one of those words will be fine. Okay. And then last, we want some thinly sliced provolone cheese. Now, First thing we got to do is we have to make the, I'm just calling it tapenade. Now tapenade is usually just a bunch of chopped up olives, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to put together the olives, the giardinera, the roasted red peppers, the parsley, the capers, the garlic, the olive oil, and the red wine vinegar into the uh, food processor, put them all together, and then pulse that a few times until it looks like mm, salsa. You don't want to go to, you don't want to, grind it into a paste, but you want everything chopped up to where you get these tiny little particles of everything. And it's all speckled with orange and black and green and yellow and all these in little bits of white from the cauliflower and the pearl onions. And it basically looks like salsa, but with black olives instead of tomatoes. Okay. And <clears throat> let me tell you what, this tapenade is incredible. Like the olives, you have that that sort of sour, salty brine, uh, the slippery, olive oily texture to that, but it's cut by that vinegary, fresh, crunchy giardinera. It is just great. And then the, the little extra red wine vinegar, I, I can't, I cannot tout the flavor explosion of this tapenade enough. But anyway, you make that, you cut your bread in half, uh, like a hamburger bun, you know, like a big hamburger bun, and then both size of that you just slather it with that tapenade you get it on there and make sure you know whenever you're scooping out don't try to leave a bunch of juices you know olive oil and, and vinegar in the bowl of the uh the food processor just scoop right down in there because you want that to penetrate into the bread and really soak in there spread that evenly on both halves of of your bread and then on the bottom half we're going to start stacking the ingredients of our muffaletta. First up, lay down your your soprasada. Now, if you're buying soprasada and you're getting it as like a, a stick, then you want to slice that as thinly as possible. Otherwise, at the deli, have them slice it fairly thin. The thinner, the better. It doesn't have to, you don't want to necessarily be like transparent, like a prosciutto, like that thinness. But if you ask them to slice it on like a two or a three, it'll give you a nice, uh, like, pizza pepperoni. You know how thick that is? That's how thin you want your uh, soprasada to be sliced. So lay down a layer of that. On top of that, lay down a layer of the capicola or the copa, and then a layer of the mortadella. And then you want to put your provolone on. So you've got one of each of those main components. You have a layer of the tapenade, one layer of each of the meats, and then the cheese, and then do another layer of each of the meats and the cheese. So you get two of those. So whenever we put this together, you have tapenade on the top half of the bun that will cap it off. You'll have tapenade, meat, 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 cheese, meat, 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 cheese. Wait a minute, I lost it here. Tapenade, cheese, meat, 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 cheese, meat, 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 tapenade bread. That's how it goes. Okay. Sorry. I, just, I started rattling off. I would have had a, a sandwich that was 14 inches tall if I didn't catch myself there. But anyway, uh, and put that back together. Very I, 
to put the top on, you don't want all that top and on to fall off. So what I used was the spatula that used like flip thing, you know, the metal flat spatula and just press the flat end of that or the flat edge of that flat side of that down directly against the top of that to kind of like, it would be like, um, if you were using a trowel to flatten out plaster or something like that, I don't know, but press that into, into the bread a little bit so that it'll hold and then very quickly invert the top of that bread onto the top of your sandwich. Then ideally you do this and you still have another hour or so before you're going to eat, wrap that up. If you want to wrap it in saran wrap, you can, I wrapped it in foil. If you're using a, a bread that is already um, vertically proportioned, you know, something that is shaped like a muffaletta style roll, just wrap that up, put it in the fridge for half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. That'll let kind of all those juices permeate into the bread. It'll homogenize the layers a little bit. I put a weight on mine, but a muffaletta is not a pressed sandwich. So this isn't a canonical step in making one. So you don't have to do that. But if you make your own bread and it ends up being a giant ball, like I, I actually cut like about a half inch section out of the middle so that it wouldn't be as tall. And then I built it with all the ingredients wrapped in in foil and then put a 45 pound weight on top just to kind of flatten it out a little bit. Worked great. It was fantastic. But you shouldn't have to do that if you're using the appropriately uh, proportioned ingredients, namely the bread. Okay. But that's it. That's the muffaletta sandwich. It is really, really good. Um, when you're ready to serve it, uh, depending on how big it is, how many people you're serving, you should be able to cut it into at least four wedges. If you get a really big one, you know, a good 12 inch diameter thing, it's basically like a pizza and you could cut it into, I don't know, six, eight, maybe slices. Um, but the point is that you get these individual wedges you pull it out, you see that cross section with the tapenade, the meats, the cheeses, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And the, um, and the bread should have uh, sesame seeds on the top if possible. And if you don't, you know, if you just get kind of a nice soft crust round bread, it doesn't have sesame seeds. If you have a spray bottle with some water, give it a little spritz, sprinkle some sesame seeds on there, and then put it into a warm oven, like a 250 degree oven, just to warm that bread up a little bit. It'll also help that water evaporate and leave those seeds sticking to the surface and it'll be super duper good. So that is it. That is the muffaletta sandwich. And this, you know, is one of those episodes where there is more in the show notes than what was in the episode, because I will put in there the whole process, all the ingredients for making uh, homemade mortadella. And I'll tell you uh, what's interesting about that is so if I was making mortadella for the sake of making mortadella, then I would have to order beef middles or beef buns or uh, what's called an orbus or orbo, which is a, or a, a sow bladder, you know, some big natural casing like that's big and round that I could fill with the farce and, and poach it or smoke it or bake it. There are different ways of, of preparing so that you would have basically a very uh, girthy cased sausage, essentially. But you don't have to do that. I actually made mine in a bread pan, you know, so it came out as like a loaf. And when I was doing it, I wasn't even thinking about it, but I was like, wait a minute, olive loaf, you know, like it, it this, maybe this is an actual um, form that this uh, comes in because like an emulsified sausage is, man, it is close to a meatloaf, you know, I mean, not exactly, but pretty close. So anyway, that turned out great. Uh, had a real nice texture. 
uh, sliced it as thin as I could. You want a nice sharp knife so that you can, because it is fairly, fairly delicate. Think about like an uncased hot dog and trying to slice that as thin as you can. It would be, it would be tedious, but um, yeah, it turned out great. So check that out. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.